right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Drovetta. RCST is brought to you by T-Mobile. You can chat, share, and stream on America's 5G network. And guess what? Unlimited 5G is included in all plans at T-Mobile at no extra cost. T-Mobile, we cover more people and places than anyone else. So um, today is one of the days where we finally are starting to get into the doldrums of the sports calendar where there you know, wasn't like a big news story that came out or there wasn't uh, this guy's testing or, or something's going on. So something that we did at the beginning of last week, and we said we were going to do more of this, but we never got around to because there were other stories testing, and, yeah. and guys testing and things, is kind of these deep dives into these individual players. And so we did KJ Adams. He was the first one that we did. And we kind of went through like things that, you know, could make him a, a bigger player for this team or what are his expectations? What's kind of the, the floor? What's kind of the ceiling for those types of expectations? And uh, the next guy that I want to do on the list is Zach Clements. And those are guys save that, that clip of an audio. Well, <laughs> no, don't save that one, please. Uh, is a guy who also could play. I mean, I don't know. It depends how you view KJ Adams. Is he a four? Is he a five? Whatever. Was that Clements? I, I think you view him as only a five. And I guess you could convince yourself that, you know, if Bill Self ever does want to get back to the two big lineups, then he's the type of guy that you could play next to another big because he can stretch the floor offensively. So it is possible that could happen. You never know. But I also kind of think that we're past those days. I, I don't know. I don't know where you stand on that. But um, this... This it's tough because he's so different mm-hmm. from any big that that self has played, right. especially since he's gone to the four round run lineup. I just I like, see if if in today's day and age, if you're gonna play two bigs next to each other, I, it's less to me about can one space the floor. I mean that does matter, and it, but it's more about to me. Will you defend with foot yeah, can, space? Can and I don't think you could. Four, yeah. Right. Like, you know, there's going to be some people as we get closer to the season going, oh, man, could Cam Martin and Zach Clements start next to each other? I will answer that shortly by saying no, because Bill Self cares about defense, and you would get torched on the defensive end. Yeah. I, I, I don't see it happening, but he is. And I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of game around the block Zach Clements can develop over the summer. Um, because uh, like the big memory of him is canning a th- hit one three or two against when he came in against Oklahoma and Allen Fieldhouse. It was just one, but it was a very it was a big, big, one. big it shot. Gave him their first lead in a while, and so that's kind of a lasting memory of of Clements um this year. But I'd be interested to see he shot. You've got you know, and I'll give you credit for tracking these stats down. I mean, they're publicly available. Uh, well, so, yeah, but you're yeah. the one who put them on the paper that's sitting in front of me. So um, 37.5% from the field, but he also didn't spend a ton of time on the blocks. No. Um, six for 22 from three. That needs to get better if he's going to be kind of an outside guy. But it also, like, even if you, like, the he doesn't need to shoot 38% from three. 
if you can get that number hovering around 33 or 34, at the very least, you're forced to guard him out there. Yeah. Like, you, he, he, you have to pay attention to him. So, um, I, you know, you don't need him shooting like a guard can shoot, but um, I don't know. I, I He's such a unique – he's so different because he, he's not big and bulky um, like a lot of the, the bigs that, that self – like even David, David McCormick got big as time went on in his shoulders, but he was still a thick, muscular guy when he got here. Right. Um uh, Clements is not. Yeah, no, that's that's I'm sure gonna be the biggest thing that they try to work on him with the offseason is getting just a, like a stronger he, core, stronger base. Yeah, like this is he could very well be a candidate for one of those, you know, gain twenty five pounds. Ten thousand right. calories a day, you know, tons of weights kind of kind of offseason. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um so these were the final line for him. Twenty four games played, played five minutes a game in the games he did play, over two points per game, just under two rebounds. You mentioned the the shooting was down. He actually had a, a much better block rate than David McCormick. Again, very small sample size. Kind of near Mitch Lightfoot, so that's probably a good sign that he can be a bit of a rim protector, at least enough of what you need. I think uh, we've seen, though, over you know this year, KU won the title, and KU was a really good defense over the last month of the season without having an elite rim protector. Uh, you can get by without it. It makes it a lot easier if you have it, but... Um, Nonetheless, well, we've talked all the. I mean, every year we talk. Really, we talk more when the when the team is lacking, but it's not just having a rim protector is big, uh, not just for the purpose of what they can do when somebody's at the rim, but how how much more of a gamble. Like Mario Chalmers, um, love to jump out in passing lanes. You can you can afford to do that a lot more now. You can't always afford to do it because a lot of times if you're a guard. And you jump out in passing lanes, and, and you you jump over, and the guy gets the ball. He's going to be wide open for a three, so that's difficult. But you can get out further because if you if you risk the guy driving on you, then he's got a guy to worry about down low. I mean, we saw Frank Mason, um, as amazing as he was, really struggle down on the blocks against Oregon in the Elite Eight. Not just with blocks, not just with guys blocking a shot, but with guys altering his shot. Well, but again, like it's something that you trust Bill Self, and and like I'm saying, you won the title this year. David McCormick, not a great shot blocker. Last year, you yeah, had one not, of those yeah, it's defenses, not a necessity, but, but it's it makes just it an example easier. of how much yeah, things help. Hundred percent. Um, so nonetheless, with, with Clements, I didn't realize the three point percentage was that low, and you can easily dismiss it. It, it was six of twenty two. That's that's such a small sample size, so that's not really worrisome. I think what is more worrisome there is that. In the same way, I was talking about Jalen Wilson the other day, and how he shot free throws so well at the, uh, uh, during the NCAA tournament, and how a lot of times NBA scouts and you know people who project what can you be as a shooter, they do look to your free throw percentages, and and if you're a good free throw shooter, if you're a bad one, that kind of relates them to say, okay, maybe there's more to it or less to it of what your numbers are from three. Well, Zach Clements um, only shot 48% on 29 free throw attempts. So that's really Ooh. not good. And that would not reflect that maybe he could be as good of a shooter as we think. But then you just see him with a quick release, shooting deep threes and, and hitting them on certain occasions, even though, again, it wasn't consistent at 27%. It's hard for me not to think of this guy as a shooter, even though the numbers would say maybe that wasn't really the case this past year. So I expect him to be a good shooter. But um, I guess that's kind of the difference here. If he's a if he's a really good shooter, if he's a, a great shooter as a center, that becomes a huge boon, a huge strength that you have that a lot of other teams don't have. You, you'll but, have exactly the thing that's been frustrating you exactly for years. Exactly, but if you if you if he's only an okay shooter, you know if he's only shooting thirty percent, 
or something. I don't mean to put a mark on it because, again, if he's if he takes three threes a game and he shoots 100 over the course of a season, the difference between shooting 30% and 33%, which is about national average, is three made threes over 35 games. Like, is that that big of a difference? Probably not. But the difference between him being like a great shooter, being in that, you know, 36 to 40% range versus being just an okay shooter around that 30% mark, like that is a very real difference because you're talking about what is supposed to be the biggest strength of what he brings to the offense. Like you said, we have questions about we we didn't really get to see him down low on the block. We don't know if he is really that kind of pick-and-roll guy where he's athletic and going to spring down a dunk. Uh, we don't really know what his strength inside is in terms of defensively and offensively for kind of going uh, toe-to-toe with another strong big man. The one thing that we're supposed to know about this guy is he's a good shooter, so if he's only okay or solid at it versus being great at it, I think that's a, a pretty big difference in what his expectations would then become for this season. Um, I'm going through his profile, and, and the more of a uh, of a you know sample size is what I'm looking for. The more of a sample size you get in college, the less be, this becomes relevant. But he shot um, 37% from three as a senior in high school. Uh, if you if you could get even to thirty, I would take. If if you wanted to guarantee me thirty five, like if he becomes a thirty five percent three point shooter, I take that immediately. Forty seven percent overall. So again, I don't know what kind of work he did around the blocks. Um, but if you, you know, he, you could almost say, is he going to be a, a different version of Dave, but similar to Dave in this regard, which is. You need him to just at least do enough on defense that you can have his offense out there. Um, and like KJ, we we describe KJ differently. Like you need him to produce just enough on offense so you can have him out there for defensive purposes. Where with Clements, it seems like offense is a big part of his game, uh, and he's such a unique six ten guy that you you would almost need him to play like just stay even on defense yeah. so you can have his offense out there. Um, but he does. He needs to improve as a shooter, and I, I'm yet to see Bill Self. Now again, he hasn't had very many six uh, ten dudes who are only 220 pounds. But I'm yet to see Bill Self at Kansas have a big man who is not required to do work around the blocks. No, and, and that, honestly, that needs to happen. The closest thing I could think of is, and and this wasn't even necessary. Like this was something that kind of bothered Bill Self, and he didn't play as much. Carlton Bragg kind of wanted to be that guy. Like, yeah. there were times when he would just try to stretch it out and try to be like kind of Kevin Durant on the perimeter, this tall guy shooting shots. But um, even he was was getting stuff in the blocks. So that's interesting. The defense, to your point, like, yeah, that's going to matter a lot. Like, can you defend other guys in the post? Because I think we actually, defensively, like when he's playing other stretch fives, which we saw in that game against Oklahoma and Tanner Groves, he performed well. Yeah, that's, that's why you brought matchup, him in. Right? That's a, You know, when, when he's playing a traditional big man, will he be able to defend him kind of toe-to-toe um, in the post. And and I think it's interesting because you could convince me that, you know, maybe if the shot just isn't, like I said, great, and if he, he can't get it there in terms of his post play or his defense, then maybe the, the kind of floor to his game is being more of a rotational center is only giving you 10 to 15 minutes a game. But if, if some of that stuff does click, like there is a case to be made that he could have the biggest jump of anyone on this team because, um, 
I, I don't know who else would be in that conversation. I would probably throw like Bobby Pettiford, maybe a guy like Joe Yesfu. I, I would say one of those two could step up this year. I don't know if there's going to be enough minutes for both of them, but one of those two could step up. Outside of that, probably for most improved from last year to this year, I would lean toward him because if you look at it, he was KU's highest rated freshman coming into last year. So already you have the pedigree. He's got a pro type of game in terms of the way the game is going. He's got a pro type of, of body in terms of the height and the length. Um, obviously, he needs to fill out the, the muscular stuff, which we talked about. But he did show flashes at different points this year. Like it wasn't consistent, but how much of that was just he wasn't playing? Yeah. I think that could be the big argument there. Like the Michigan State game, he was great in the first half. Stony Brook, he goes for 11 and 6. Oklahoma game, as we mentioned. Did he can uh, he may have only played late when Kansas was winning big, but didn't he can one or two threes against St. John's? He might have. Um, and, I mean, the other thing is just that he would be in line for a lot more playing time if that stuff all does click. Like, there's yeah. obviously a big hole at center. So, uh, I guess what do you view as, as kind of the realistic floor and the realistic ceiling for I him? I think the realistic floor is he gets shut out by Ernest Duday um, at some point next season. But he's still playing, right? I, they, yes, he's, not yes a he's a rotation, and he gets shut out of the starting by. Now I want to be clear that's that's the floor. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying that's the floor. Although, and I think if that happens, I think it would be more about. I think it would be less about Zach Clements playing poorly and more about Ernest Duday forcing self's hand by just being really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think his his ceiling is. I mean, I never want to limit a guy, I, I, but I also am not just going to sit here and say a dude can go be Big 12 Player of the Year. Um, but I think you look at a guy who can be in one of those all big, not not necessarily first team, but be an all Big 12 player. Uh, in, in, in Eventually. Are yeah. we talking next year? No, or no, just, yeah, just next year. Just, just next year. year. Oh, mm-hmm. then just next year. Um, I think, yeah, a, a, a consistent starter, um, you know, 25-ish minutes a game uh, on a top 15 team I think it's kind of next year's ceiling yeah I, I just he's got there's you know I could also see him being a guy where we're watching him do he does something in February where we go he would have totally screwed that up in November mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah I, I to your point on like if you're talking future years I do think the all big or big 12 player of the year all-american level is under consideration if we're talking about junior possible season senior year yeah I think you're right though I think this is going to be a little bit of a like in between year where he could have a really good year but also there's going to be a learning process along the way and it's it then leads to that big step maybe the next year I, I was just looking at his 24-7 sports page from uh when he committed and one of the things it mentioned was he's got really good mobility and it did list him as a power forward so I don't know maybe maybe they could play two bigs together maybe you could get away with Uday at the center as a rim protector and Clements at the four, because we we have seen some other teams who are still really good. You know, Gonzaga, Duke. If you can do it, you run too big still, and those teams have still been a good. Dude so. like that is playing four. Yeah, I think good thing. I think it's because exactly. he's shown. Like I, I think five is the de facto position. I think if he gets moved to four, it's because he's really mm-hmm. shown out. And you're trying to get two of your better players yeah. on the court, right? That's. Um, a, I think. That, I think it's a good thing if he winds up at the four. Yeah, I just I do worry about the the foot speed defensively but again like I say that for the Cam Martin Clements pairing maybe Clements and Uday would would be a little bit better there for for that particular pairing uh so I I view the floor as because if you're talking floor part of the reason Cam Martin redshirted I mean they didn't bring him in with the idea he was going to redshirt he was a he was a senior transfer from a D2 that you were hoping was going to give immediate minutes he ended up redshirting because Zach Clements beat him out 
So I think immediately when I think of floor, he's going to be ahead of him on the rotation piece of things. I think you could argue that KJ Adams and him in a floor scenario, maybe KJ beats him out just for the defensive side of things. But even then I, I view it as like, okay, maybe they're on, on equal ground, but Clemens has higher ceiling offensively. So yeah, I think the floor is probably 10 to 15 minutes. He's going to be in the rotation no matter what. Um, I do view the ceiling as he could be the starter and he could be an all Big 12 player. I really do think that's the ceiling. And when you look at next year's team, again, we don't know what the situation of Jalen Wilson or Christian Brown's going to be. We could think Jalen's going to come back, or you could hope that Christian's going to come back. And if either of those do come back, like those are automatically going to be the guy that we look at and say, that's the guy. That's the leader of next year's team. That's the guy expected to lead them in points and, and all those accolades. But if if neither one of those guys comes back, there's there's not an obvious answer at all for who leads, leads the team in points. Like you're as, as good as Dewan Harris is in in a lot of things that he does, and as much of a veteran as he would be, he's not going to be your answer for who leads the team in points. Um, you don't know what the role of Bobby Pettiford or Joe Yesfu is going to be. It could be Grady Dick or MJ Rice, but also they're freshmen. Like yeah. they could come in and it could look like Quentin Grimes, where it's inconsistent. Like there is a case to be made that if Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown both went pro and those things hit, and we are on more of the ceiling side of things, that Zach Clements could be your leading scorer. That Zach Clements could be your best player next year. And I, I wouldn't complain about that because I think he he's like I I'm just I'm very fascinated by him because he's so different than any player that I've ever seen. The last I don't even know I, I he's he's unique to any guy I've ever seen self play since he switched to this four round two. He would have been, there's no doubt in my mind, he would have been a really tall four back when Self played the three round two. But since he switched to just one big man, I, he has, Self hasn't had a player like this. The more we talk about it, the more I'm starting. Because I started this conversation saying they're not going to play too big. I've started to lean myself. I I kind of think they're going to, well, I, I'm not saying it'll be the primary lineup or the starting lineup maybe even. But the more I think about it, like if Ernest Uday, you know, it could take some time and then he, he that could just be a thing that it's Zach Clements, Ernest Uday as starters. I mean, and that's it. Wouldn't be surprising. I think. I think if that if that comes out, I think it's going to be because Clement shows a, a, a really a, a knack uh, for offense on the outside, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, and you could really kind of counteract to. I mean, I don't know if we're getting into lineup building, but hypothetically, if Jalen Wilson come back comes back, like one of the things scouts might tell Jalen is, we want to see you play the wing at the three. Mm-hmm. You could have Jalen at the three, Clements at the four, Ernest Uday at the five. Again, there'd, there'd be question about foot speed and athleticism defending, but also that's a lot of height, that's a lot of length on the floor. And if Jalen does come back and becomes a good shooter, that'd be a lot of shooting on the floor as well. But uh, I don't know. As far as Zach Clements goes, yeah, I think there is a very wide range of outcomes, which honestly that's going to be like the the theme for a lot of these guys just when you have so many minutes and, and roles departing. But I do think the floor, like we said, is for sure rotation player and the ceiling is – all Big 12. Real quick, you know who he looks like? He, I just mm. realized he reminds me of a guy, because a guy who, with great success, held on to the three-around-two concept probably longer than any other great coach was Roy Williams. That's a dude who would have been a, like a player on a North Carolina team for Roy yeah. Williams. Well, North Carolina did it this year, too. They just, Yeah, I mean, it kind of Hubert eventually graduated he, away from that. Well, he, he adjusted, though. When yeah. he did, he said, we're going to still do the two-big thing. But our second big is going to be able to shoot Brady Manning, right? Yeah. So maybe that is what but, KU does, right? Yeah, that could be. Um, but yeah, I just he, I just, it just occurred to me he he's basically a prototype for um, the smaller of the two big men that Roy Williams would play. 
I fully convinced myself now. If Jalen doesn't come back, they're starting two bigs. <laughs> we'll wait and see how stupid that prediction looks in a couple months. All right, he's Adam Dravada. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. At uh, 3.40, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate. Two more RCST trivia matchups today. Kevin Flaherty at 4.40. We're out today at 5.20 for high school baseball on the airwaves here on KLWN. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. 20 till 4 here on RCST. And we're joined now on a Tuesday by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Uh, so, Matt, we were, we were talking on the other side. We're, we're kind of starting our deep dives into some players we could see on, on next year's team for KU. And today's was Zach Clements. And as the conversation progressed, you know, I kind of went into it thinking, ah, I don't know how much too big basketball KU is going to play with Bill Self anymore. And then I, I started thinking about it more. And if, if Jalen Wilson goes pro, like there's no like obvious player to just play four-man minutes. And even though KU has kind of gone away from the too big basketball of late, I see some of these other schools like Duke and Gonzaga and North Carolina playing two bigs next to each other. Um, so I guess it's not totally out of style. Uh, where are you at with, I guess, the, I don't know, something that um, Bill Self used to love to do, and now if you would have to do it, he could still do it, but it would probably be different in how it looks with KU using the the two big lineups. Do you think that could be something that comes back for KU this next season? Um, I don't know about next season, but but you know, I mean, I I think Self's reached the point where he likes what the smaller lineups give him in terms of flexibility, um, both in game and also in the recruiting world. Um, it's it's quite obvious, I think, to everybody that there's a lot more guys like Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson out there in the world than there are like Udoka and Kofi Coburn and those types of guys. You know, that's just sort of the way the game's gone. And and so rather than trying to desperately spend all your time finding one of those guys, and then when you find one, you got to throw everything at him and spend all that time and resources trying to get him, it opens up what you can do recruiting wise. And, and it only works that way. If you're able to, to, you know, run a system and, and have the flexibility with what you do offensively, defensively, et cetera, um, to, to be able to kind of plug those undersized guys in and, and maybe play three or four bigger wings and, and, and get by that way. But um, self reach that point for sure. And uh, so I, I think that he's probably, He's probably at the point now where it's just kind of, you know, what can I get? I'm going to go find the best talent, the best fit, the best players I can, and I'm not going to really worry about is this guy tall enough, is this guy big enough. You know, I'm going to go out and just find talent. And and then when I have as much talent as I can put on my roster, then I'll take a look in the summer or, or, or September or whatever it is, and, and then I'll decide, well, this is how we're going to play with this particular group. So I think the flexibility is something that, that he likes, and I think it took him some time to, to embrace it and get to that point. But I, I do think the last few teams have, have certainly um, you know, helped him get there. And, and I, I think now it's, it's really just all about talent, the, the best 
roster you can put together. Obviously, you're still going to need a point guard and and a shooter or two of those. And and you know, and and of course, if you if there's a guy like Doke out there, you're going to try to get him. You know, because that that is more than ever a major major advantage. But you're not going to sell out to get him. You're not going to settle to get him, and you're not going to waste a ton of time looking for one when there might not be one. So I, I do think that it could come back at any minute. But I, I just think his his ability to kind of just roll with it and and say, well, here's my best roster and and now i'll play this way or that way or this way or that way whatever he has to do at that point is is become comfortable for him and and i think that's obviously a pretty important um step that he's taken and the program's taken yeah i think if if jalen comes back we won't see it much this year but i do kind of think we'll see at least some of maybe i don't know a clemens uday pairing or something and if like i said if wilson does go pro i don't i don't know who the obvious candidate to play four minutes is anyway um which I guess sort of brings me to my next question. When you look at possible breakout candidates for next year, because of the fact that you know there could be an opportunity for a lot more playing time, he was their highest recruit this past year. We saw some flashes, but not a ton of playing time. Um, who do you view as, as the bigger breakout candidate? Zach Clements, who we've been kind of talking about today, or would it be another player? I, I would probably have said Zach, even if you didn't give me the choices. Um, I, I think... When you look back at what he did at Sunrise and, and what kind of player he was at a high level in high school, um, there's a lot to offer. And, and he's got, you know, he's, he's got a variety of skills that you can use and that you like. Uh, and, and we saw that at times this year. Obviously, he was just kind of a gunner when he came in. He was, he was not afraid to shoot and didn't have a whole lot to lose when he did shoot because he wasn't going to play a ton of minutes anyway. So, um, we, we saw that mentality, which I think is him. Um, and if he's, if he's the type of guy that makes the jump and, and gets to 25, 30 minutes a game, you know, he'll have to rein that in some. I mean, it, it's got to be good shots um, within the flow, those types of things. And I, and I think if he's in that much, he'll also spend some time in the paint. And, and we, saw, we saw what he could do there, too. I mean, he was in, in a couple of games late. He was – their most active player inside and, and showed no fear going after the offensive rebounds and, and things of that nature. So I, I think he's, um, I think he's probably right where he, he should be in terms of being poised to have that major jump in that breakout. Um, there's no doubt he could have got more playing time this year and could have got some more experience that would have helped him. But um, injuries obviously would play a part in that. So, I probably would have said Zach anyway, just because I think his his ceiling is so high. I think he's, I think he's a really. I mean, you know, you, you look at a guy like Brady Manick at, at North Carolina. I don't know if you guys made that comparison already, and and if you did, or if, if I'm doing it, it's 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 a little bit of a reach because Manick's so talented, and he was doing it as a freshman and and did it throughout his time at Oklahoma, and then even another level at at, at UNC. So. Um, you know, it's it's not the perfect comparison because, I, I, you know, that's a big time player right there. But I do think Zach has that potential, and uh, at least to be used that way. And and you see through Manic and other guys like that, you see what that can do for a team. So uh, I think there should be a lot of excitement around him. I think there should be a lot of expectations for him, and and I think he'd be the first to to kind of you know, ring the bell for both of those things. I think he's really fired up to, to have a bigger role. And, and I talked to him a little bit at the, at the parade, actually. And, uh, you know, he said it was humbling having to sit. It, 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 
it was humbling because he's been a big time player on every team he's ever been on and and he understood why he had to do it here and, and was happy to do it and got a ring and cut down some nets and all that stuff so nobody's going to cry or argue about it but you know he he had to he had to figure out how to handle that and i think he did and i think all those freshmen did so i, I think now they they should be fired up to hit the off season and 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 hit the preseason with you know really really a lot of fire and hunger and passion to not only show that they can play but also to to uh go out there and try to defend this title i mean it's it's a tall task and nobody's going to expect them to do it but i think they'll expect to do it so you know he's he's a central part of that we're talking with matt tate of lawrence journal world all right what do you think is more likely uh jalen wilson returning to the fold for ku or the jayhawks landing tyrese hunter that's ugly. That's that. It, it's been a little while. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, just easy, you know, easy good things to talk about with this program. So you haven't really, you haven't stumped me in a while. Wow. That might be one. But without thinking too much about it, man, I, I think Jalen Wilson. I mean, I think I, I, I just think Jalen's coming back. Um, I, I don't know that that is a guarantee by any means. I think you know he'll go get feedback, and if the feedback is favorable or if he performs better than maybe people even expect he might then certainly he could leave um but i I do think that there's a there's a pretty good chance that he'll be back and uh and and it'd be huge for them if he is um and and with hunter i mean there's a lot to like about that fit man i mean you know um if you can kind of set aside your your uh frustrations with this free agency thing and 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 just moving openly from one conference team to another i mean there, there's a lot there's a lot of uh strangeness that goes with that i mean it's all still new and it's it's so crazy but um you know it, it comes back to what i was saying a minute ago and and uh and, and really what bill Self's job is and that's to build the best roster he can so um if the rules say tyrese hunter's available and the rules say you can go get him, then you go get him. And uh, if he ends up picking you, then you improve your roster, and, and then you figure it out from there. So, um, you know, he's, he's got five other schools that are all obviously very enticing. <coughs> Excuse me, Louisville was on his original list. Um, I think maybe a finalist the first time. Uh, Texas is interesting because Texas Tech recruited him hard when Beard was there. And now, now Beard's at Texas. So those, those two, I don't know if they had a head start necessarily, but probably a little bit, um, even though Louisville has a new coach. But, and, and then obviously you look at Gonzaga and, and what they've been. I mean, who doesn't want to play there? That, that would be, that'd be really hard to turn down if you have that opportunity. And, and Purdue is, you know, Purdue's been as good as anybody. They're just not getting the Final Fours, but their their consistency and and their 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 ability to, you know, be relevant as a top five, top ten team for the last however many years has been has been really good. So that's another powerhouse program. And and I, I mean, I just don't think he can go wrong with any of them. Um, so I, I think the the idea that KU is competing against other top notch programs for him makes that a little less likely, although I do still think they have a very good shot at it and, and will have as much to offer as anybody, um, including playing time. So, um, yeah, it, it, that's, a, that's, a heck of a, that's a heck of a question. That's a heck of a, a, a wrinkle in the offseason here early already for a player like that to come available and, 
obviously KU has some experience with that, knowing you know what what they did with Remy Martin and and even Malik Newman a little bit. Different circumstances with Malik, but two really really highly touted guys that that were on the move that came to Kansas and and became you know borderline legends. Pretty pretty incredible. So um, it, it would it would make sense that Tyrese Hunter would give it a long hard look, but. I, I will go with Jalen to answer your question, and then I will shut up. You're up. All right. Um, here, you thought that one was hard. Wait for this one. Deeper <laughs> tournament run. Kansas in the 2023 NCAA tournament. So who knows? They might not even be there, right? Or uh, right. you never know. I don't know. Christian and Jalen come back, and maybe it's another deep run. Or Ryan Goodwin in RCST trivia. Wow. Well, you know, Old Coach Goodwin is is uh, is already in the Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken. So yep, sizzling I, I, 16, that, please. We don't yeah, want to get sued. We don't want to get oh, sued, yeah. man. Sizzling. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, at that point, you know, you're talking about can Kansas can Kansas match that? Do, do they have enough to to be on his level? And um, it's tough. It, it is tough. Um, I don't know. The situation with who Goodwin faces next, I don't. I haven't scouted too closely that that side of the bracket. I'm very familiar with the other side, but I haven't. I haven't looked too close mm-hmm. to his side, so I don't know the likelihood of him getting to the uh, to the eight. Well, if um, if our uh, one seed wins there, he would be playing the defending champion. But you never know; the one seed could get upset in the second round. It happens. It does happen. Yeah, that's for sure. And and really, you know, knowing him. That's probably what he wants because then there's no pressure on him at all. It, you know, it's it's all about at that point he's playing with house money and and the pressure's on the one seed and and my God if the one seed were to lose to Ryan Goodwin, uh, what an embarrassment for him. He'd have to change his address and get new friends and all of that. So, um, so I I will uh, I will go with Ryan Goodwin because I think he's going to win that that next matchup and then you know and then at least I feel like I'm maybe going to push because an Elite Eight run next year by Kansas would be something I think anybody would sign up for right now, and uh, they'd have to view that as a successful season, and, and they'd have to take it. It's hard to go back-to-back Final Fours, especially if you turn your turn your roster over. So um, I, I, reluctantly, I, I will take Ryan Goodwin in that one, and, and uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, then I'll, I'll beat myself up for months to come because – I've known the guy a long time, and I should know better than to bet on him. But I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> he is Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Well, Matt, before we let you go, as is tradition, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. It's National Richter Scale Day. When was the last earthquake you experienced? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> what a day. I love that. <laughs> Uh, National Richter Scale Day, not even National Earthquake Day. Just Richter no Scale. national. That's yeah, good. we're we're celebrating the guy that made it. There you go. Right, honoring the the inventor. That makes a lot of sense. Um, the Richter last barely one, even newer. <laughs> the last one I experienced. Holy cow! You know there've been there've been a couple. I think that that uh, had an epicenter. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that have had like a an epicenter in, in Oklahoma or something like that, that, that you kind of felt all the way up here. I remember, uh, yeah, they'll get some down there. And even as close as Wichita with the, um, the fracking people won't say that it's related to fracking, but some people say it's related to fracking. There you go. Right. Right. So yeah, there, there've been a few, 
that m- might have been like 5.6 or even 6-ish uh, down where, where they really, you know, where they really hit. And then you, you, you get this weird feeling up here even. So I couldn't tell you when it was, but it's probably been two or three in, in my uh, – in my lifetime living in Lawrence, I, I'll give you one though that I remember, and I don't remember exactly the details of this, but I think we can figure it out. It was like I was in—I'm going to say it was either elementary school or it, it probably was elementary school—and um, uh, and, and there was a, a, a conspiracy theory that 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 somebody, one of those one of those people that predicts things, um, not Nostradamus, but, but you know, a modern-day Nostradamus, mm. predicted that there was going to be this massive earthquake that was going to hit, uh, not massive, but, but a big one for Kansas. And it was going to, it, it, the whole thing was built around the numerals 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. So it was supposed to happen like either it was either December 4th or December 3rd, so 1, 2, and then 3, or maybe it was January 2nd, so 1, and then 2. Um, I think it was December 3rd, so 12, 3, and I think it was supposed to be a 4.5 um, on, on the Richter scale, and, and I think it was supposed to happen at like, no, okay, January 2nd, it was supposed to be a 3.4. It was supposed to happen at like, five whatever and and it was going to be like in in 1989 or something like that so i went out because it was a thing it was a big thing like in in elementary school our teachers were like you know they they talked about it it was a perfect way for them to educate us on on what earthquakes were and and all of that i thought you meant on lunatics that predict the end of the world yeah 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 that too right uh, you don't want to teach kids that one too early though um but but our teachers uh, they suggested that that in order to see this thing because I, I do think it was like a 3.4 it wasn't supposed to be massive so it was you know 3.4 is closer than than i want it to be in my own backyard type of thing but it, it wouldn't have been like you know what you see in california or, or whatever so but but the, the thing they told us was you take a uh, you take a glass of water um, and you go set it on your driveway at that exact time. And then if, even if you don't feel it because, you know, your, your body mass and, and maybe you're just not, not feeling it anyway. Um, but if you don't feel it, you should see that, that water in that glass move. And of course I was out there at the exact time with my glass of water. And, and if I recall correctly, I didn't see anything. Um, and I was looking. I mean, I wanted that to be true. I love those things. But um, I lived to tell about it, and I told about it way too long because that is one last thing, but that is one long last thing. So thank you for bearing with me. Well, he is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, KUSports.com and in the LJ world. And that, thank you for joining the show, as always. You bet. You guys have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Second round of RCST Trivia Continues on today, we have two more matchups between the three-seed Justin Nichols, the six-seed Alex Fear, and then a four-five matchup between Chris and John later on. Our CST Trivia 
Brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kurt Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, RockChalk.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros. 23rd Street Brewery, your title sponsor. You can get dine-in, carry-out, or catering from the 23rd Street Brewery from all the delicious food to the amazing beer that you can get to go as well with their Crowlers. And we have our 3-6 matchup here out of the South region between Justin Nichols and Alex Fear. And Justin has gone three and one in trivia, eleven and one on questions. He went four and zero oh in the first round to move on uh, to this one here. It's it's kind of a short turnaround for you between first and second round. Uh, are you are you worried a little that you haven't had as much time to prepare? Uh, you know, you know what you know at this point, so just got to go with what you know. Well, Alex, you uh, got through the first round going three and zero oh on questions. You're two and one in trivia, six and one overall on question so you're looking to make it to the uh, sizzling 16 after losing in the second round last appearance for you um does that serve as extra motivation for you today or is it just not really something that you've been thinking about uh absolutely uh you uh i could, couldn't bear to listen to the remainder of the tournament after i went out last time so uh hoping to uh go deeper this time for sure all right, well, uh, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday with trivia, but the one seed in your guys' region in the South, Isaac, lost the 2020 champion. So does that give uh, – I'll start with you here, Justin. Does that give you maybe a little bit more hope that you can make it out of the region here? You always like to see the bracket open in front of you like that. Yep. And what about you, Alex? Can't look too far ahead. It's a uh, uh, series of uh, two-game tournaments, so it's trying to win the first two-game tournament today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we can't say get out of the first weekend because this is over the, the third week, but you can say, I don't know, get to that that second tournament, essentially, like uh, you're implying. All right, so the winner of today's matchup and the winner of all our second round matchups go to the Sizzling 16. As members of the Sizzling 16, these are the prizes you receive on top of what you've already received in the second round. You got a $25 gift card to 2030 Brewery, that RCST Trivia t-shirt. Again, if you win this one, you get another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. Every round you advance, you get another one of those. Um, from Bill's Up Mac and Cheese to Crimson Fog or Wave the Wheat to Wash It Down, you get a $10 gift card to Hawaiian Bros. Thanks to Kirk Geeser State Farms. So you can try that delicious food, the Huli Huli Chicken or whatever you like at, at uh, Hawaiian Bros. Thanks to Kurt Geeser. And Kurt Geeser can help you out with any insurance needs or financial advice. Give Kurt and his team a call or email today and see what he can do for you. A $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence. Your pharmacist-owned and operated CBD shop, now located at 4821 West 6th Street next to Big Biscuit. They have free sh shipping and a perks program featuring lots of new hemp-derived cannabinoid products as well as Delta 8 or 9. And you're also going to get a voucher for a free sandwich and another voucher for a free breakfast sandwich from McDonald's, which works at Lawrence, Topeka, Atchison, Bonner Springs, Shawnee Mission Parkway, and Hilltop, Shawnee, and Leavenworth lo locations. When life gets busy, make life happen. Download an order with the McDonald's app to link payment, save time, and earn free food right from your phone okay let's cue the music let's get into the matchup here between the three seed justin nichols the six seed alex fear spot in the sizzling 16 in the south on the line alex you are the lower seeds so you have the choice would you rather go first or go second i would love to go second all right alex you can go second justin that means you're up first once again we've gotten rid of the really easy category so we start in the easy category justin what jersey number did david mccormick wear 33. Yep. Big Mac. Double threes. All right. Uh, on to you, Alex. What jersey number did Remy Martin wear? 
That would be number 10. Correct answer is number 11. Number 11 for Remy Martin. Another double number there for uh, Remy. Those jersey number questions are tricky, man. For some people, they have that that part of their mind works where they get the visualization. For others, we found it to be pretty tough, and that's uh, unfortunate early out for you there. Really, really kicking myself there. Uh, uh, should have uh, should have double and triple checked my memory. Is that one where as soon as you heard the answer, you were like, I, I can't believe I missed that? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I won. I advanced on a jersey question last round, and I thought it was uh, strength of mind. But uh, obviously, after that question, <laughs> I, I can't say that. Well, uh, Justin, you, you get a quick advance here, so uh, a lot less questions here. You had the short turnaround, but now you're going to be well-rested heading into the sizzling 16. So uh, thoughts on on making it to the uh, round of 16? Um, uh, that was uh, unfortunate for Alex. Uh, I know that he knows that one. And that was uh, my kids were, were drilling me with roster number questions for the last couple of weeks because I was making the same mistake uh, a few weeks ago. So um i've got it down but i feel feel kind of bad for him i know he's a better competitor than what he showed today yeah he certainly is um alex we appreciate you joining again on trivia we're gonna get you to the sizzling 16 i said this about ben yesterday he he hadn't gotten over the hump now he's been in it an extra year than you have but uh you're gonna get there because you know your stuff and just uh unfortunate little laps that happened right there guys we appreciate you in trivia this year justin we'll see you next week thanks guys Ouch. Ouch That's, is right. Um, I want, Now, let me ask you this. Would you, because the first thing I did was Googled uh, what he went, what he wore at Arizona State, and he wore number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, my thought was, oh, God, did he? Did, did we mess something up? That I should up? have said, what yeah, did, did he wear did, at did Kansas? We, did we I hope mess that was something implied. Up, but no, yeah. I agree, but just to be clear, he wore. He mm-hmm. did not wear number 10 at Arizona State. He wore number one. That, my first thought was, oh, God, we should have been more specific, but... Uh, he wore number one. Would you, if if they made that argument and they said, "Well, I didn't know." Honestly, I, I would have given it to him if he did make that argument because yeah. I I should have, like I said, specific, like but, you said, I should have specified at Kansas. So yes, I would have given it to him at that point because that would have been our mess up. But, but regardless, um, he 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 wore one. That's mm-hmm. I, we've said it. I mean, the 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 we've talked multiple times off air off about the jersey ones and and are they in the wrong categories? And <laughs> um, I guess yes. I don't know. I mean, it's that's tough. Man. Maybe jersey questions. I should just make them like okay. The guys like Mario Chalmers and Tron Collins. We had those in like really easy. Maybe everything just bumps up. So those ones should be easy. Yeah. These ones should be like medium. And then if we have any, which is like I don't know, what jersey number did Evan Manning wear? Like that should be in the really hard. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't even tell you. Did he also wear eleven? Five. Uh, that would have been cool if he wore twenty-five. Looking yeah, back, like his dad. Right. But uh, that would have been a lot. Like, it's like. You're already under the, you know, the lineage of Danny Manning. Do you need like more reminders yeah, of like that high point. expectation? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's tough, man. It, and I, you know, Alex, Alex knows his stuff. That's just one. Everybody's got their, you know, you just sometimes you're. You, well, again, he said I thought I was good at jersey numbers. So I don't even think it was like a, a weak yeah. spot in terms of category. I think it was just a weak spot in terms of that one that player one happened player. to. Not be uh, but I'm in his head. It's a t- it's a tough one, but yeah, that's a shame. 
Well, but Justin. Sometimes you run into that. Um, if if Tate moves on, which he's going to have a heck of a battle with Brandon, so it's not like that's a guarantee. But if if Tate does move on, then that two three matchup that could possibly meet in the South region would be the uh, the highest or the best remaining seeds, however you want to term that, because Isaac's gone. Yeah. So I guess Justin is by that notion one of the two favorites. So yeah. In the South. So so Tate, no matter what happens, until unless he gets to the in, until he gets to the phenomenal four, he's wearing his white jersey the whole way. Yeah, that's right. I we should do that. We should tell the contestants you have to wear like a, a solid. If you're a lower seed, a solid color, <laughs> and then a, a white color yeah. if you're the higher seed. See, going back to my idea that I thought it would be fun to, and then in football, the opposite. Is it opposite in football? Football home home. I didn't even realize home that. and higher seeds. Where, Why do they do that? I can't take well, a Well, most um, hockey does it like football. I don't know why. Um, and then in, in in soccer, they just wear all sorts of. Each team has like twenty three alternates. Um, baseball, baseball kind of has is getting more alternates, but in general, baseball white is home, solid is away. Um, and then football, solid is home, white is away. And then unless you're the Cowboys, they wear white. They just break the rules. Yeah, but like. Going back to what I said, I think last week, like I would love for this to get to a point where, like, five, six years down the road, like people are like, are like attached to these trivia people, and they're like, I have my favorite trivia person that even if I'm not in the yeah, event, they, like I'm rooting for, and they buy t-shirts. That, man, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they buy t-shirts for that player and stuff. Like that'd be funny if we we created jerseys for these we could, people. We could set up a little deal where I don't think we could do it like in a gambling format, but. Um, we no, could, that, we, could, I we do. could give out prizes like they do, like the the TBT gives out actual yeah. money. But we could do a thing where, like, if you're one of the first five people to latch on to like this, this competitor and they make the phenomenal four, you also you get win some prize. Yeah, you, like you don't win as much as they like do. That. You know, you don't win as much as I they do. Genius. But if, if they make it to the final phenomenal four, then you also can get a, a you know twenty third street gift card or whatever. I think that is genius. Um, that'll probably be something we might implore next year. Where, like you said, I don't know what we'll do. Maybe we'll do like you can have up to three people or up to five people, like you said, latch on to someone, and, and we'll figure out a way for that to be determined. Um, maybe you just have to like you know retweet something or whatever. Um, give us a, a review on our podcast or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, you just get prizes for that. I love that. And then, but if you're in the tournament, you can't like yeah. pick somebody else. No, exactly. So I love that. I also would love to, if we could do like a bracket challenge with this, which I don't even know how we would go about doing that, um, but that could be cool. Another thing would be, like I said, if we could get like jerseys for the, I don't know, maybe that's too much. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, how cool would it be though? Like this would be the ultimate goal among, since we're just like throwing ideas at the wall here of trivia. So Kansas is, because uh, they're talking right now, Kansas and Missouri are talking about passing Sports betting, and it seems like it's trending the right way that those things are going to get passed, but you never know with these things. How amazing would it be if we somehow got the state of Kansas to put these up there? Like, we had lines. People could bet on this. <laughs> wow. Now, it would never happen because of the fact that, like, I don't you know how easy it would be for us to doctor this? And I don't even think they have betting lines on, like, Jeopardy. Yeah, and that's like right? a big, 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 big time game. Yeah, there's no way. Show. There's no way they would let us. There's no way. But it's fun to especially dream. because fun like, to there's no way they could like prevent us from just giving the answer. Like we could bet on someone, yeah. and then give the answer yeah, to that, that person. Amount, right? I, I don't. I, I'm sure the amount of regulation the casinos have to go through. 
to get to be allowed to you know do you know to, to basically to be casinos uh, to make sure you're avoiding things like fixing right. things. So yeah, no that that wouldn't be a possibility. But it's fun to talk about. We I mean, how about this for a dream? Somebody mm. makes an RCST trivia podcast. <laughs> so it's a I love that. It's I love not that. us. It's, it's a spin-off podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's just a couple fans of it's the like trivia. It's like Breaking Bad and then it spins off into Better Call Saul. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Yeah, if somebody wants to do that, like go for it. We give you naming rights for that. Um I mean, you can't call it like Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but like you can call it the RCST Trivia Podcast. I don't care. I don't think that'll ever happen, but like again, into just fun ideas of if this thing ever well, yeah, big, we have right? to fill time cuz the last match was only four minutes <laughs> well we have one more match coming up um we have a what hopefully is a good one i mean the four five matchup supposed to be as, as good as it gets in the second round with i can think of a four five between ku and syracuse in 2001 that was not a particularly exciting matchup ku won yes they did so that's a good thing big uh, RCST Trivia, once again, is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Easter State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, CBD of Lawrence, Pella Windows and Doors, RockChalk.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros, our title sponsor, 23rd Street Brewery. Once again, everybody who wins their second round matchup moves on to the Sizzling 16. You get a voucher for a free sandwich plus a voucher for a free breakfast sandwich at McDonald's. You get a $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence. You get a $10 gift card to Hawaiian Bros. That thanks to Kirk Geeser State Farm. And you get a $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. Real quick, I, I want to run through the uh, other upcoming prizes since those are going to be coming up. I don't know if everybody knows what we have. So that, those are obviously the prizes for the Sizzling 16. If you make it to the grade eight, you get a voucher for a free VIP car wash at Mr. D's Auto Wash. You get a home field apparel shirt. That thanks to Pella Doors and Windows. You get a $30 credit for Jayhawk NFTs at rockchalk.io. And you get another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. And you also get auto entrance into RCST Trivia 2023. And you're guaranteed a top two seed. Then if you make the Phenomenal Four, you get a one seed guaranteed into RCST Trivia 2023. Another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. You get a Phenomenal Four trophy. And you get a... RCST engraved water bottle. They're really nice. Yeah, I wish I had they're one. Slick. Um, we're working on possibly having another prize for that, but I can't guarantee that right now. Uh, if you go to the championship game, another twenty five. Told you, Derek, my stripper days are over. Uh, I'm well, not wait, showing see, up at anybody's house. We'll try to convince you. Uh, another twenty five dollar gift card to Twenty Third Street Brewery. If you make the championship, another thirty dollars of credit for Jayhawk NFTs at RockTruck.io. You can pull a pack. I saw somebody pulled a pack, uh, just like one of those generic packs and they got an Ochag Baji like premium card they sold it on the marketplace for a thousand dollars so like you could make some real money off that um and then if you win the third place game another 25 dollars 23rd Street Brewery for the trivia champion you get yet another 25 dollars to 23rd Street Brewery the championship trophy from Jayhawks trophy which that is super awesome slick. lifetime entrance star CST trivia and maybe most importantly the big screen tv from 23rd Street Brewery so uh, a lot of cool prizes upcoming on the docket. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Our next RCST trivia matchup between Chris and John on the other side. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Second matchup and final matchup of the day here for RCST Trivia with three more tomorrow. Our big day is going to be Thursday where we have five more. Trivia, of course, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Easter State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, CBD of Lawrence, Pella Windows and Doors, Jayhawk Trophy, rockchalk.io, 
and Hawaiian Bros, and we have a 4-5 matchup in the second round. Winner moves on to the sizzling 16. The four seed is Chris Yurchak, who has gone 4-2 and two in trivia in the past and 19-5 uh, and five overall in questions. His first round matchup featured a 4-0 and oh first matchup there, and his five seed is John Self, who has gone two and one in trivia, seven and one on questions? He was also four and zero oh in his first round. So, Chris, uh, you made the sizzling sixteen. One of your two previous appearances, trying to get back here for the second time in three years. Um, does that serve as any extra motivation for you? Yeah, once you've been there, it hurts if you don't make it there again. So, just trying to keep moving on down the line, survive in advance. Well, John, um, you're looking to make your first sizzling 16. You made it to the second round last year, trying to go around further this year. Do you remember the question that you went out on last year, and, and is there extra motivation to try to get through an extra round this year? I do remember the question. It was, uh, who was the MOP of the region when K went to the Final Four in, I believe, 91? And it was Alonzo Jameson. That's a tough one. Well, uh, the prizes for whoever wins this matchup, you're going to get a $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, another one, I should say. A $10 gift card to Hawaiian Bros, thanks to Kurt Geeser State Farm. A $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence and a voucher for a free sandwich, plus another voucher for a free breakfast sandwich at McDonald's. So a lot on the line to make it to the uh, sizzling 16 between you two guys. Well, uh, with that said, let's go ahead and get the matchup rolling here with our 4-5 matchup in the second round. Out of the East region, winner of this gets the winner of Tyler and Drew in the 1-9 matchup over there. So it's same rules as before, only thing different. We just have gotten rid of the really easy column, and we'll just start in the easy column. All right, uh, so, John, you are the lower seed. As the 5, you get the option. Would you rather go first or go second? I'll go second. All right, Chris, that means you're up first. And your first question is... Kansas played their first and second round games in the Lone Star State. What city did they play in this past tournament? Oh, man. Is it Fort Worth? Oh, good. I, I was worried for you there. You're struggling a little on the early, but once you got it, you got it. Yeah. Yep, Fort Worth was the answer. Funny enough, both Kansas and North Carolina played in Fort Worth, and they uh, got to meet up there, and then they met up again, obviously, in New Orleans. Okay, John, for you, Kansas played their Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games in the Prairie State. What city did they play in this past tournament? Chicago. Chi-Town. A lot of good spots for Eats for KU along their tournament ride. You get some ribs or brisket or barbecue down in Texas. You get some deep dish or hot dogs in Chicago, then all that Cajun food down in uh, New Orleans. Okay, on to you, Chris, into the medium round. We've gone further than our last matchup, so congratulations. All right, in 2014-2015, Kansas would go on to lose in the second round to Wichita State. Who led that team in scoring at 13.8 points per game? Led the Kansas team in scoring? Yes. Uh, Perry Ellis. Yep, Perry, native of Wichita, but lost to the Shockers in that second round. He led them in scoring that year. I think he led them in scoring the year after as well. 
Okay, uh, on to you, John. Only one other Jayhawk scored double-digit points per game in that same 2014-2015 season. What sophomore guard accomplished that feat? Frank Mason. Yep. Frank was, was really solid as a sophomore and junior, but senior year, Frank was a whole nother level. Oubre didn't get to double-digit points per game that year? No, I don't wow. think he started till. Gosh, maybe conference play. He was coming off the bench for a while. I think he was around nine or something like that. Wow. Yep. Went on to be a first-round pick. Okay. We're going to pick up the tempo, pick up the mood, change up the music. Into the hard round for our 4-5 matchup between Chris and John. Back to you, Chris. The 1952 national title-winning Jayhawks started the season 13-0 and before falling to what Big 7 opponent? Oh, it's usually Kansas State on these. So, yeah, I'll go with K-State. Fantastic guess. Kansas State is the answer. I have a friend who is a K-State alum. He doesn't, uh, you know, he appreciates the rivalry, but he doesn't hate KU, but he has a theory that that uh, came to an end this year. But he, he long had a theory that uh, KU could not win a national championship in basketball unless they lost to K-State in the regular season. And that held true through every year until this one. They got darn close in Manhattan. Yep. Then it would have held true. Okay, on to you, John, to stay alive here. That same Kansas team, so 1951-1952, that won the title, would lose their very next game as well. So they started 13-0, lost to Kansas State. Then they lost their next game as well, 49-45, to what then Missouri Valley and now Big 12 opponent. Ten seconds. Okay. Say Oklahoma State. Woo! All right, I need to know, both of you guys, Chris, was yours that a... That was impressive. Yours seemed like an educated guess. John, was that an educated guess as well? Kind of. It was... I was searching. I almost said Missouri. I don't know why. They're not even in the Big 12, but... And then I was just thinking about Oklahoma State won titles back then, back in that era. And I feel like they were, I'm in Wichita, is where I live, so I feel like they were a Wichita State opponent a lot. Well, that was, it that was, was kind good. of a guess, yeah. Well, both of you guys nailing that. Love it. All right, we're moving on to the really hard round. Chris, the fewest points ever scored by KU in a game was three. They only scored three points against who? Back on April 3rd, 1899. Well, let's go with Topeka YMCA. Bill's favorite. <laughs> I like the guess. The correct answer is William Jewell. Uh, William Jewell, oh, I think yeah. former That's... NAIA school. I think now a D2. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. All right. On to you, John. KU's first ever victory in school history came on February 10th, 1898 against who? I'm going to say Haskell. 
Mm. It's not a bad guess, but flip them. Topeka, YMCA is the correct answer. <laughs> I actually looked that up this morning, and I was worried I gave it away to him. <laughs> Exquisite poker face oh, there, Derek. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was hoping you didn't give it away either, but if he knew it, he knew it. All right. We're going to stick in the really hard for one more. On to you, Chris. Kansas made the final four in 2002. Who led that team in steals per game? Man. Really two guesses. I'm going to go with Kirk Heinrich. What would have been your other guess? Oh, it would have been Aaron Miles, but it's a really hard question, so that's probably wrong, too. Yeah, correct answer is Drew Gooden. 1.8 steals per game. What a beast. Big man averaging nearly two a game. All right, on to you, John. In 2009, Kansas won the Big 12 and fell in the Sweet 16 during their title defense. Who led that team in steals per game? Gosh, I've... I'm going to guess... Uh... Ten seconds. Travis Relliford? Not bad. The correct answer was Brady Morningstar. Averaged 1.2 steals per game. Are right, we going to go back down to the hard column of things. Back to you, Chris. What Kansas player logged 26 points... 15 rebounds and 13 blocks in a 1953 championship game loss to Indiana. BH Bourne. Nailed it. BH Bourne. I think they called it an unofficial triple double because the blocks weren't an official stat then, but, you know, BH Bourne, absolute stud. One uh, Final Four MOP without winning the title. Okay, John, on to you. This Jayhawk scored 44 points in an NCAA tournament game in 1952. I would think it's BH Born. But Is that your answer? That's what I'll say. I don't know. Correct answer is Clyde Lavellet. Clyde Lavellet scored 44 in an NCAA tournament game against St. Louis. He went on to win Final Four MOP, so they got it back-to-back years, though they just won the title in 52. Heck of a matchup there. Exciting stuff. Uh, love it from both of you guys. Uh, John, we'll start with you. Uh, fresh wounds here, so I'm sorry, but... Um, is there one question that you missed that you you look back on and go, I can't believe I missed that one, or or one that you're going to be kind of thinking through the most tonight? Definitely Clyde Lavelle. I, I should have known that for sure. I just I don't know why I could not get his name to register. Well, Chris, um, did you think the answer to that one there was going to be BH Born as well, or, or did you know it was Clyde Lavelle? No, I knew that one would have been Clyde. Um, I knew that his year was 52. BH Borns was the next year, 53. But, well, nice you know, win for you. Ball, easy to get them mixed up. Yeah, you're going on to the sizzling 16 for the second time. Do you have any uh, words for your, your possible opponent there? Um, who is it, Tyler? and Either Tyler or Drew. Well, good luck to both of them. <laughs> um, they play tomorrow. 
Yes. Uh, I don't know. You know, this trivia, this tournament's such a crapshoot on what you study, some specific knowledge that you can just get lucky on the question. So, well, I uh, I opened the floor to see if you wanted to trash talk, but it seems like you're going to be a respectful opponent. That's all right as well. We appreciate the sportsmanship. Talk for Nick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'll take up plenty of that for everyone. Well, Chris, congrats. You're moving on, John. Another fun appearance in trivia. Hope we get you back next year. Yeah, appreciate it. Good luck, Chris. Good job. Thanks. All right, so a fun second matchup here. That was. I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it's it good. You know, it, intense. Made all the way to the to the very hard category. Um, I and it's funny how quick we almost lost, lost it. In the yeah. easy with the Fort Worth question. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was the Topeka YMCA is tough because it. I thought he was getting the next I one. Right. I thought he was going to be like, I have no clue. I'm just going to guess the same thing he did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, that would have been. That would have been tough if that's how he went out, but you never know how it's going to end. Clyde Lavelle a, a very mighty chin on that guy. Yeah. Dude, hell, he hell of a jawline. He doesn't get enough talk as being one of the greatest players. In, I mean, I know, like, Kansas historians and stuff will tell you he's one of the greatest ever, but, like, legitimately, you can make the argument that he should even be ahead of, like, Wilt Chamberlain on the all-time KU list. I wouldn't put him there because Wilt was just so darn good. But, again, he... He, you know, played what three years at Kansas. Will yep. only played two. Clyde ended up higher on like all time points and stuff like that. Clyde won the title, which again wasn't totally Wilt's fault, but he won Final Four MOP. So I think Wilt did anyway as well. But um, like you could make the argument that he is the second most um decorated player in Kansas basketball history. He's out. Yeah, he was outstanding. I I, I think it goes um, Manning and then Lavelle. I got to meet Clyde after um. Uh, camping. I was camping in 2012, and he was uh, it, in. The, he was touring the facilities, and they had members of that 52. Since it was would have been what the 60th anniversary. Yeah, they had uh, members of that team in, and so Lavelle it was um, kind of touring the area, and they came by the camper, so I had the chance to meet him, and it was it was a cool experience. Awesome. Well, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our CST trivia for the day. We'll have three more matchups coming up tomorrow. Coming up next, though, Kevin Flaherty. 24-7 Sports joins us. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN as we're joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Um, so Tyrese Hunter, who is one of the biggest transfers on the market and certainly I don't know, maybe the biggest who's still available at this point. Uh, he released his final six. Kansas on that list. So, Kevin, let's say Tyrese Hunter does decide to come to Kansas. What do you think some of the repercussions of that, and how do you think he would fit into the team? Yeah, I think that you would likely see Kansas play a lot more uh, two-point guard lineups, you know, like we saw with Dewan Harris alongside Remy Martin sort of before the injury happened uh, when they were both in the starting lineup. And then 
things changed obviously a little bit after Remy Martin's injury, but you still saw that as a key part of the rotation. And I think when you look at, at what Tyreek Hunter brings, yes, he is a smaller guard in terms of not being a natural sized uh, two, but at the same time, he has such great athleticism. He's got tremendous defensive instincts and, and timing that I think that, that he's somebody, when you pair him with DeWan Harris, they'd be able to switch on to the one and two without too many issues. And, and so uh, I think defensively you, you'd be okay, even with the two smaller guards playing together. Offensively, he's such an explosive guy. I know the worry there that some people would have would be the shooting because DeWan Harris is is somewhat of a non-shooter, you know, not necessarily – a bad shooter, you know, he wound up being roughly average, maybe slightly below from three, but but somebody who just doesn't take a lot of shots. And Tyrese Hunter's three-point percentage wasn't really that high. But I think there are a couple things there. One, I do expect DeJuan Harris to continue to develop it as a shooter. And I think the other thing, too, Derek, is you see a lot of guys not have great percentages from deep when it's early in their career, especially as freshmen. You know, the closeouts are coming faster than they were before. And especially when you're you're a point guard and you're trying to get used to playing 30 or 35 minutes a game at this level, you're taking a lot of your shots off the dribble, et cetera. I, I think it's easy for, for guys to, to kind of struggle from deep in that first season. We saw Hunter take a lot of shots. We saw him have some streaky performances. I think he made what? seven of 11 from three against LSU in the first round. So I don't think that Hunter's in a spot necessarily where you look at him and automatically say, Oh, you can't play him with Harris. Neither guy can shoot. Uh, I think it's something that it wouldn't be surprising for me to see Hunter maybe take that step into being an above average three point shooter next year. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Harris take that leap tomorrow next year either. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I you know, I remember like Severe Wheeler was in the portal last year and I remember sure. having real questions about that fit because of the shooting. But even though I look at Tyrese Hunter and yeah, like you said, the the percentage isn't great, twenty seven percent. I see him taking four attempts per game. I see those big games of high variance like the LSU game. I see him shooting 37% from three in the month of March, 32% in the month of February, where it's going up as the season goes on. And I, I feel like there's going to be more there that you get out of him. And um, I, I think it would be really interesting. Now, I don't know. This might be a, a disaster offensively, but hypothetically, if they did get Tyrese Hunter, I am just envisioning a lineup down the stretch where KU is trying to preserve a three-point lead of Dewan Harris, Tyrese Hunter, and KJ Adams on the floor, and that just being awful to go against if you're an opposing offense. Yeah, I think so, and I and I think one of the other things too, Derek, when you when you look at it, it when a freshman shoots like that, it, is he hasn't had time to adjust in a college weight room yet, and a lot of times that is a big part of the reason why guys don't shoot well early on and it sounds weird like you feel like this guy should shoot well or he shouldn't but especially in the case of Tyrese Hunter playing at Iowa State you know Iowa State's defense was its calling card and he expended a lot of effort on that end of the court and that uses your legs a lot when you play that level and at that intensity uh 
for, for a long period of time. And, and so you go into the offseason, you have a chance to really work on your strength, your conditioning, and things like that. And that really as much as, you know, fixing a flaw and, you know, or a hitch in your shot or, or whatever, a lot of times can lead to somebody shooting better. It's just having a better understanding of, okay, I, I need to be at this level of shape if I'm going to expend that much effort on defense and be a positive shooter. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think Kansas would have a chance to, to just have some terrific defensive lineups out there when you when you look at those guys you know DeJuan Harris and Tyrese Hunter they aren't going to make any pass easy when you look at the way that they can get their hands into passing lanes with the way that they can jump passes and things like that and then if you have KJ Adams out there and especially have him playing center being able to switch five spots really showed up at multiple times this year to have so much value for Kansas when when they needed a stop down the stretch. And so I do think the defense, you know, would have a chance to be elite. And I think, if I remember right, I think Bart Torvik right now, which looks at advanced metrics and stuff like that, I think Kansas already has a top 10 projected defense next year. I think it's like seven. And that's before adding Tyrese Hunter. And so when you add a, a defender of that caliber to a group that's already potentially a top 10 defense, you know, Kansas could have one of the best defenses in the entire country, depending on how everybody comes together. Okay. So how, I, I know we talked about your uh, way too early 2023 rankings a couple weeks ago when that came out. And I know you guys are working on an updated one as, as difficult as that is with so many players in the portal and trying to figure out decisions of guys going pro or whatnot. Um, but, but how would that affect things for, of where you view them right now, which um, I don't know if this has changed for you, but I, I know it was kind of under the idea that Christian Brown would probably be going pro, Jalen Wilson coming back. How much would Tyrese Hunter affect kind of where you view them in the hierarchy of uh, teams nationally? Yeah, I think right now, you know, with that with that in mind, with projecting, you know, it, and, and I even looked at it more as, yes, Wilson was the more likely to come back, uh, I think we felt like, but I even looked at it more as, Kansas is likely to return one of those two. And so whether it was Christian Brown or whether it was Jalen Wilson, likely to bring back one of those two players. And with that in mind, you know, we had Kansas as an outside of the top five, but within the top 10 type of team. And I think when you add somebody like Tyrese Hunter, a guy who really, you know, what, what would you say, Derek, probably through December, was getting mentioned as a possible lottery pick, yeah. certainly a projected first round pick. And when you when you add that kind of talent to a team that's that's say sitting there at seven or eight, you're looking at a top five team. And I do think that there are some interesting things at the top. I I love Arkansas's makeup on this roster. I think that there is a lot of talent on that roster. But even beyond that, I think. It's a potentially elite defensive team that does everything that Musselman wants them to do on that end. You know, Baylor is going to be really, really good once again. Houston, I think, has probably the best backcourt in college basketball when you look at the guys that they return who were hurt this year and Tremone Mark and Marcus Sasser. And, and, and even without those guys for almost the entire season, they still went to the Elite Eight and finished number two in Ken Paul. 
And so bringing back, you know, two potential all-conference guys slash all-America guys, uh, I, I think that Houston is kind of up there in that discussion. And then I, I feel like you're maybe rolling the dice on, on a few teams there. I don't love North Carolina quite as much as some other people do. I know uh, my CBS colleague Gary Parrish has North Carolina number one. I, I'm not there. I, I think that Carolina did, you know, tangibly get so much better over the course of the season, and there are a lot of things that they can carry over with four starters. But a huge key to them being able to do what they were able to do was Brady Manick, you know, both with his ability to stretch the court and even beyond that, just in the NCAA tournament, you know, Brady Manick was among the players of the tournament, period, not just for North Carolina, just overall. And so I think when you look at that roster construction, I'm not sure without Puff Johnson maybe taking a leap and being able to be that guy on an every-night basis – I'm not sure that North Carolina doesn't lose quite a bit there. And so I I think you'd be talking about Kansas, you know, sort of in that four or five spot with Tyrese Hunter, but certainly with the chance to to maybe even go up to three or or higher, depending on what what happens. I'm glad you brought up Brady Manick because uh, one of the things we were talking about today was, you know, Zach Clements and, and trying to figure out what his role is next year. Could he be the starting center? Could I don't know, a guy like Ernest Uday overcome him? Would they bring on a transfer? And one of the things that that kind of led us down a rabbit hole of was, you know, are, are we going to see more of too big basketball again with Bill Self? We haven't seen it lately. And, and maybe it's just, you know, it's it's a thing that we're not going to see anymore. But as much as that's a conversation about how, you know, we don't see too big basketball as much, like some of the best teams are still doing it. You mentioned North Carolina. Duke does it. Gonzaga does it. It's just different now as opposed to being two guys who both play in the post. One of them has to be able to kind of stretch the floor a little bit, which obviously is the case when you have a guy like Brady Manick. Uh, so do you think uh, when you view Zach Clements headed into year two this next year, um, do you view him more as, as the guy to take over for David McCormick at the five? Do you view him as being possible uh, a player that could play at the four any minutes? You know, I don't know that he's going to play at the four a ton, but I do think that he probably has the line on on the starting spot at the five. I, I think that that's a position that uh, that he could fill really well. And, and I think you know, defensively, when you look at when you look at the athleticism and the length and the things that that he has, I think it projects better to a five spot than a four spot because, as the old saying goes. You are what you guard, right? And I don't think that when you look across the Big 12, and a lot of times that four is is almost a fourth guard, I'm not sure that that's the role you want Zach Clements in is chasing that guy around the perimeter defensively. Now, what I will tell you is I love your question from a philosophical standpoint because when Bill Self coached the, I think it was the under-19s, right, when he had Quentin Grimes on his team and, and everything for Team USA, his two big men were Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Matthew Hurt. Now, Matthew Hurt played the five on defense because he was the taller guy and everything else. And, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl was, was a little bit more athletic. You know, he could move around the perimeter a little bit more. But when you look on offense, Matthew Hurt was the one who was more comfortable playing away from the basket at the time. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl was the guy who is more comfortable playing out of the post and playing around. And so there was a little bit of almost inversion there. And the reason I bring that up is 
even if Jalen Wilson doesn't come back, I think it's very interesting to think about what Kansas could do potentially with K.J. Adams at that four spot because he has the athleticism. It's probably his natural spot from you know, a, a body standpoint and everything else to play the four spot and putting him next to Zach Clements, whereas on offense, Clements would be the guy who would play more away from the basket, K.J. Adams more around the basket as a, either as a role guy. He has more offense than he showed this year, Derek. I, I think if you watched him in high school, he was somebody that could put the ball on the floor and, and get to the rim, especially out of the high post. And so I, I think when you look at, at what Self really enjoyed about coaching that under-19 team, and it was fun to watch because they ran some stuff that you didn't really see Self run much at Kansas because, let's be honest, Self isn't usually scheming for his centers to get three-pointers. I think that, that some of that is maybe replicable with a team like this and specifically with you know maybe somebody like K.J. Adams who's a more inside-type guy who could play and defend at the four, and Zach Clements, who's basically a four on offense, defending the five. And so I, I do think Clements has a spot at that center spot, but I'm really interested to see how Self kind of uses the lineups around him as well because I, I think that's a big part of the reason Kansas was so enamored with Zach Clements through the recruiting process was not that he's Matthew Hurt, but that he could do some of the things that Hurt did when Self coached him, and part of the reason that Self really wanted Matthew Hurt through the recruiting process. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work with 24-7 Sports. Be on the lookout for those rankings coming, I don't know, soon. I'm, I'm sure it takes a while to go through everything. So, <laughs> I don't know. It could be in the coming weeks. But uh, certainly, great work as always from Kevin. Before we let you go, though, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. Which animal would make the best sports writer? Uh, the first animal that popped into my mind was was raccoon. Okay. And, mm. and I, I, I honestly have no reason why that was just what <laughs> I was thinking of a raccoon with a little like press hat like on and and that that was the first thought. But if I have to flesh it out, I guess maybe raccoons are good at going through people's garbage. So yeah, I like everything <laughs> about this answer really. So so yeah, but but even even that last part all stems from just the immediate mental image of, you know, a raccoon in a press hat. So Nah. Well, animals pretending to be people is one of my favorite things in the world, so you've won me over. There you go. I, I, would, I would love to see a, a Twitter account in the new Twitter days that is, you know, raccoon as a sports writer. There we go. Here's Kevin Flaherty. Check him out, 24-7 Sports. He uh, writes better than a raccoon. I'll that. I, that sounds like a negative. <laughs> I, I feel bad Barely. going out it's that way. Close. Yeah, it is really close. We'll <laughs> no. we'll need to put up a poll. Yeah, maybe that'll be our uh, daily poll tomorrow. Well, Kevin, thank you for the time as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, he's Adam Brevet. I'm Derek Johnson. That was Kevin Flaherty. This is RCST. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. We're going to have uh, three guests join the show tomorrow. Kristen Knipp of the KU Ultimate Frisbee Club team from. Our Q Club interviews presented by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. And uh, we're also going to have Micah Brown, who is the director for The Blueprint, that new series coming out for KU football, the little mini series. And then Joshua Briscoe is going to join the show 
on Wednesday to help us get closer. NFL draft is in two days. Thursday. This came right up on us. I'm sure for other people, it's been something they've been talking about for like I'm months sure and months. scouts and executives yeah, are like, exactly. oh my God, thank God. But for us, just like talking about KU on basketball and the tournament and then trivia and stuff, it's just, oh, wait, that's happening now? Which I'm excited about. It's got to feel like draft. when you're a high school basketball coach and like – like, let's say you're a high school basketball head coach, but you're also an assistant football coach, mm-hmm. and your football team makes it to the state championship game, and then all of a sudden, you're oh like my God, you've got games. no time to prepare <laughs> as the head coach of the basketball team. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing that that happened that way. Okay, uh, there's something I wanted to talk about. So, Rustin Dodd, who uh, used to work for the UDK, used to work for the Kansas City Star, now he works with Rustinius the Athletic. Rustinius Doddington. And uh, Jason Jenks. I don't know Jason, but he's from the area as well. I covered a high school game. He used to, I, okay. I don't know who he's, he was. It was when he was going to KU, but he was stringing for some publication. Um, so I'm assuming both UDK and I, I alums. I covered a Gardner-Edgerton um, football game with him. Mm-hmm. It was a playoff game. He was stringing for some local publication. Well, they combined for a KU football story in The Athletic. It's, it's really good. I would highly recommend reading it. They, they It's always great work in uh, The Athletic as well as all the great outlets of you know, we have so many guests on it. I know this sounds like pandering, but it's really not. Like we, there's so many great places to support your local news and everything. So anyway, um, I'm gonna try to get Rusty on later this week, but we'll we'll see if if we can actually connect in in some way there. Um, he goes through this kind of what is termed by an assistant in the story as a decade of disaster, mm. and um, you know, we we've heard the stories, we've discussed them on on here, kind of maybe not like super in depth, but of the idea that KU could have had Jim Harbaugh and how he would have taken the job and all this stuff. But um, at the time, just to be clear for people to look at Jim Harbaugh's career, the year he would the year he would have, because a lot of people think of Jim Harbaugh as the guy that went to the Fiesta Bowl, or, or maybe that was. It was Orange Bowl then Fiesta. Then Fiesta. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think I think David or I think. Um, Shaw was there by the time they made the Fiesta Bowl. He might have been. Regardless. Yeah. Um, the point is, just for the purpose of this, Jim Harbaugh was coming off a 7-5, and five, what ultimately became an 8-5 and five year with Stanford. This was pre-Andrew Luck, right. Jim Harbaugh. This was the... Well, was shown, Andrew Luck was the starter. He was yeah, just a freshman. He's they, shown a really, really... like He'd done great at San Diego as a 1AA coach or FCS or whatever it was called back then. And then was really getting going at Stanford. So yes. that's, that's where Harbaugh was in his career at that point. Yeah, Toby Gerhardt had just finished top five in the Heisman. I think the Sun Bowl was the bowl game there. It so, was, yep. Um, anyway, let's chronologically going through this story because it's really interesting. It starts back with, to me, if we're looking at it chronologically, with Mangino. And this is just wild enough. It details in the story about how Lou Perkins, who was the athletic director at the time, um, he and, and Mark Mangino did not get along, and so much so that Mangino almost got fired before the Orange Bowl ever happened. So um, headed into 2005, um, or, or in 2005, I should say, they're sitting at 5-6, and six, and I guess Lou Perkins had a conversation with Dana Anderson, who's one of the biggest, um, I mean, Anderson Football Complex, obviously is, is something people will know, but one of the biggest donors for KU. And he had a conversation with him about how if they lose this game, which I'm expecting them to, to Iowa State in the season finale, he's going to get fired. But they end up winning the game in overtime. They not go o- to a bowl game. Not only did they go to a bowl game, absolutely pummeled yeah. Houston in that in that. So you can't fire game. him at that they point. Pummeled Houston. But he wanted Beca- to. It became the first time they'd, well, they made a bowl game in 03 and lost, but it was the first time they'd won a bowl game in 10 years. 
and they they destroyed Houston. So eventually, the next year they go six and six. Don't make a bowl game because at that time that was before eighty. Yeah, exactly, made it. exactly. They were bowl eligible, but they did not make a bowl. Um, which sounds so foreign. And also, nowadays. that includes uh, blowing a game on a Friday night at Toledo. So had they not blown that, and again, they also blew a game against Baylor that year. Um, so they had the point is they had opportunities to go seven and five that year. Also, so there was talk from Lou Perkins headed into that 07 season. One assistant said so much that Lou Perkins basically told him to his face, "If they don't win eight games, I'm firing all of you guys." So that's crazy. So. Uh, Mark Mangino was on the hot seat, essentially, going into the Orange After Bowl year. back-to-back bowl eligible yeah. team. And if they would have gone 7-5 and five that year, which still, in you know looking back, would have been deemed as a, a solid year, yeah. he would have probably been fired, which is, is crazy looking back. And so Perkins the, picked the wrong year to do that because a lot— I'm going to tell you right now, I and I wasn't crazy for this. I, I wasn't, like, out of the— I wasn't out on my own in this. I picked KU to go 9-3 and three that year, looking at their schedule— Feeling comfortable with their with their quarterback situation, and I wasn't an outlier. I mean, eight and four, nine and three was the talk that year. So Perkins, I think it was very extreme to say he's fired if you don't get to that level. But it, it is, it's not unreasonable to say that like no like multiple people were thinking eight or nine wins was was a possibility with that KU team in 07. Yeah, the point is that. There were multiple times he was looking to get rid of Mangino, and the relationship there didn't seem to be great. So once KU had their fall off, where they lose seven straight games, and um, Mangino has stuff where you know some players would say they loved how hard he pushed him, a lot would say they didn't love some of the stuff that was happening, right? Um, and so once all that happens, KU job opens up. I guess they interviewed Phil Fulmer who was the Tennessee coach. Charlie Strong was the defensive coordinator at Florida at the time. Ended up going to Louisville. I think they won a Sugar Bowl there. And then obviously flamed out of Texas. Tim Brewster, who was the Minnesota head coach. I don't remember what happened to him. Obviously still not in the did college Jerry game. Jerry Hill replace him? He did, but I don't know what Tim Brewster did. Did he just get fired and retire? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Kevin Sumlin, who was at Houston at the time, before he went to A&M and was really good at A&M for the first like two or three years and then well, kind of flamed out. Brewster would have made, at least made a bowl game because that's who KU beat in, yes, the, in, the, in the Insight Bowl in 08. And then Jim Harbaugh was the other one, which we go back. And so, again, um, like adding context. Real quick, I, uh-huh. I think this is an important note. There were off the field beyond the the treatment of players there were off the field issues that it was and the one i'm going to bring up that everybody knows about was he um during a high school football game mangino came rolling out of the stands and just lost it on a ref during a, a high school football game that his son was playing in and so i bring that up to to say that's an incident that if your if your program's going if your if your team is doing well on the field you brush it aside. Um, but if you're looking for reasons to pile on, that is another one. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. Um, so this is where this whole, I guess, decade of of disappointment or, or disaster basically starts. You have all those guys interested. And, again, going back to the Jim Harbaugh thing, this is Jim Harbaugh coming off a solid year at Stanford but not the Orange Bowl. And so you would ask, well, you know, why would the Kansas job. Well, Stanford hasn't been known to invest a ton in, in athletics. And at that point, KU was just two years coming off of an Orange Bowl. And obviously, Jim Harbaugh's wife is from the uh, Kansas City area. And so, an alum, I believe. Yeah. So um, he supposedly, I mean, Clinton Bowen says as much in this article, 
that Jim Harbaugh straight up told him he would accept the job if it I, was offered. And him. that I know, I know enough to, and, and that Clint Bowen has more sway than I obviously take his word. Um, but I'm, I'm that's I can tell you that I would even before reading the words from Clint Bowen, I, I knew that was that was kind of a known thing, and it was. It, it, infuriating that it was a fact yeah the reason that lou perkins did not decide to offer him the job and instead went with turner gill which started this whole tailspin was two things one and this is the one that i think everybody is has heard as part of that was that he didn't want harbaugh to coach the stanford uh bowl game and i again i believe it was the sun it Bowl. Was, yeah. could be wrong there. um he didn't want him to coach the bowl game he wanted him to get started and you know get comfortable and start recruiting and stuff and Jim Harbaugh was a guy who was like no I want to finish out my commitment with my team right um which is so crazy to me that that would be something like you couldn't just wait two extra weeks at that point you and don't also, want him that bad no that's it, the conclusion I would come to of course you don't want him which that ended bad. up being the case the second reason which I had not heard this one before which this is just as stupid um Harbaugh was up front in the interview. Again, I've, I'm I'm honestly like just reading this stuff about Harbaugh. It makes me like him even more because he's like super honest and upfront yeah. about this stuff. Uh, like he wants to finish out the commitment with the team. He was upfront in the interview that he said, "I have interest in going to the NFL. So if that comes calling, I'm going to go to the NFL." He also said, "Michigan's my alumni. Like that is my dream school. If if Michigan comes calling, I'd have interest in going there." And that was enough to rub Lou Perkins the wrong way and say, in addition to that other thing, I'm Can not hiring you. Look. That that is, and I want to say that that the call after Turner Gill, because you know when fans were trying to talk themselves, and we were all trying to talk ourselves into optimism for Turner Gill, who by the way, everyone said, oh my god, well, well, he won a MAC championship. Turner Gill backed ass his way into a MAC championship game and pulled an upset, and he gets the credit for that upset, but. His best season, he had a losing record as a coach, and his best season, I think, was 8-5. and five, But he backed ass his way into the MAC championship game because the team that finished ahead of him wasn't uh, eligible to go to the game. And then he pulled the upset, which, again, credit to that, but he wasn't as well qualified for a job like KU as, as Jim Harbaugh. But the people, Turner Gill people would say, well, yeah, but if he does well, Nebraska's going to take him. Be clear about what your program is. All right, Bill, and I, I get Bill Snyder a couple of hours down down I-70 is an example of somebody who stayed at a historically bad program even though bigger jobs were available. But that's not common. Know where you are. And if it's think about how much better things would be right now if in 2012 your problem with your football program is Jim Harbaugh just went ten and two and get is going to Michigan. He got an NFL or, job. Or Jim yeah. Harbaugh's ten and two and now he's going to coach San Francisco. Yep. That's your biggest problem in 2012. Yeah. And they're worried about that. It's crazy. And so that starts the tailspin. Turner Gill doesn't work out. Nice guy didn't work out. Then you have Bernadette Gray Little. Apparently that uh, I didn't realize this that part of the Charlie Weiss hire they had to hire someone who didn't have a buyout because she told them that they were cutting off the knees financially so they wouldn't pay for a buyout. So that's part of why Charlie Weiss was the guy. And then, obviously, they cut the, uh, I guess, money, financials even more for the next hire yeah. with David Beatty, which, which strung them along there. And then the Les Miles, yeah. Jeff Long thing. If you're, I mean, So go read it. There's some really good, like, yeah. intrinsic stories. I don't want to give them all away. But go read the story because it's really good. And I've said this forever about um, the hiring of, uh, of David Beatty. 
if you don't look, if you don't trust your AD to, to if you don't trust your AD to with the money to make a real football hire, then fire your AD. And and Shan Zanger did a lot for the non-revenue sports at KU. He did a lot, um, but he he couldn't get the football program right. But if you said, okay, if if you say, look, the Charlie Weiss thing was such a disaster, we don't trust you to hire another two and a half million dollar a year coach. Fine, then fire him because you don't trust him enough, or you're just not smart enough to understand how these things work at this level. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, we do have to go because we're out early today for high school softball coverage. Joel Becker, Cole Cedabutar are going to have you covered. Just wanted to make note of something. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, this just in, stepping down as president. Mark, you will not be missed as president of the NCAA. The Kansas City Jayhawks was the last thing he'll be remembered for. Yes, he will. Uh, Some corporate shill will take over for him. Anyway, he's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That's RCST for today. We'll be back tomorrow for another full edition of Rock Truck Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.